Welcome to Life Lessons with Dr. Steve Shell. For 20 years, Dr. Steve's 30-minute radio program, Life Lessons, was heard throughout the United States. Committed to comprehensively teaching through entire books of the Bible, Pastor Steve pulls out the deep, eternal truths in each section of Scripture without skipping over the challenging passages. He applies what is learned clearly and practically so that we're inspired not to just be hearers of the Word, but doers also. Come Holy Spirit, we love you. We love you, Jesus. And we thank you so much that you are the baptizer in the Holy Spirit. You are our savior. You are our coming king. You are our healer, but you are our baptizer in the Holy Spirit, Lord. You're the one that gives us that sweet, precious power of God to be with us and dwell within us all the days of our life, right into eternity. You said you give the Holy Spirit and he will be with us forever. Oh, Lord, how grateful we are. And we may we receive all of him we can. Would you release us as a people? Would you release me to be faithful to your words so that we can receive all the grace and gifts of God that are given to us? And we would move in everything you have in your heart for us. We would ask for that in Jesus' name. If you agree, would you say amen? Amen. Amen. All right, here we go. Let's start with Acts 1. I'll just read a passage you know well. Acts 1, verses 4 and 5. This is, takes place 40 days after the resurrection. Jesus has been appearing to his disciples in his resurrected body. He is, he's eaten food. He has, he has uh, walked through walls, <laughs> the whole thing. Uh, and, and ministered to his disciples for, for 40 days. And then he takes them and he leads them out to a hill on, the, on the, just the, uh, the, the eastern side of, of the Mount of Olives. The road goes right on up on the way to, to Bethany. And he stops somewhere there and he begins to speak to them. And he, he says this, uh, verse four, gathering them together, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem but to wait for what the Father had promised, which he said, you heard it from me. So Jesus here says, now there's a promise of the Father, which I have been telling you about. I've been talking to you about that promise. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. This term baptized with the Holy Spirit comes out of that statement of his right there, baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. It hadn't happened yet, had it? Whatever, whatever, whatever's going on in their life, this promise of the Father hadn't arrived yet. It wasn't theirs yet, but it would be. And we're going, we, we, we know when that happens. It comes on the day of Pentecost. Uh, they then begin to quiz him. And uh, wouldn't you know it, they want to know eschatology. They ask, is it this time you're restoring the kingdom to Israel? Are you coming and going to take over the planet? and make Israel the, the central nation and bring peace to all the land. He said, it is not for you to know the times or epochs the Father has fixed by his own authority. None of your business. Verse eight, but you, this is your business, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Would you read that with me? You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be my witnesses. Why don't you go ahead and read with me? You shall be my witnesses, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria, and even to the remotest part of the earth. And then he is 
ascends into heaven and they watch him go. The Old Testament prophets looked forward to a day when God's spirit would dwell within his people. And they would become prophets. A day that all through the Old Testament, there is this promise. Jeremiah talks about a new covenant. You remember that? God says, I'll make a covenant with you, not like I made with your fathers, but I'm going to make a new one and I will write my law on your hearts and you will all know me from the least to the greatest. There'll be no distinguishing. Everyone will know me personally. Why? I'll dwell within you. And then he says, and your sins I will remember no more. That's the new covenant. Isn't that a precious one? Especially because Jesus made it ours, didn't he? In Ezekiel, I just want to remind you of this. Ezekiel says the day's coming when I will, I will come and I'll write my law on your hearts. I'm going to come and I'm going to put my spirit within you. Yes. He, I mean, he's going to come and not just dwell around you. He will come and dwell within you. Literally, I think that means he'll come inside me as a holy temple. Are you a holy temple? Isn't that precious? He will come and live inside us, inside our very bodies. God would enter into a new covenant with his people. On the night in which he was betrayed, Jesus lifted the cup and said, this cup which is poured out for you is what? The new covenant in my blood. By this statement, he was revealing that his death on the cross would bring this great promise to his followers. After his resurrection, he commanded his disciples to wait for this promise to arrive. He said they would be baptized in the Holy Spirit. And by that baptism, he said, they would receive power that they would need to be his witnesses. This promise arrived on the day of Pentecost and continues to be given by God to every person who repents and believes in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins. How many of you have repented and believed in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins? Then is this promise yours? It absolutely, it is given to you. Though it is clearly stated in scripture that God gives this promise to everyone who believes in his son. As the book of Acts progresses, the history of the church and the history of the church proves it is possible for this gift to go unreceived. What is given in potential is not received in practice. With the desire to receive all that God has given us, let's seek to understand the baptism of the Holy Spirit as accurately as possible. All right, I'm going to try to say it as clear as I can. Here's the best I can do. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is a definite experience subsequent to regeneration, whereby the third person of the Godhead comes to dwell within the believer. By it, God causes ordinary people to become extraordinarily effective as witnesses for Jesus Christ. Don't you love that last statement there? When you you receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, God is empowering you to do the ministry he's called you to do. You, you function literally at a supernatural level. Some of us will look at ourselves and say, I don't have anything special. I don't think I'm smart enough or wise enough or, or whatever. I don't think I can do much for God. And, and God looks at you and says, all I need is you to just receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I will anoint you. I will equip you. And you will function at a level which is beyond what you can do. You will be supernaturally empowered. I can, I, 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 when I received the, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the first thing he went for was my mouth, wouldn't you know it? 
yeah. And, and, and I remember all of that. But I can still remember an encounter. It was a few years after that. And I was, it was a Thanksgiving table. And my, my mom had invited a, 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 a spirit-filled Methodist evangelist named Tommy Tyson uh, to come to Thanksgiving. And we had, our, we had a number of people there. But he sat right next to me. And uh, I was probably, I suppose, 14 at that point. And I'm sitting there eating my turkey and my mashed potatoes, as you're supposed to do on Thanksgiving, minding my own business. And uh, for whatever reason, he was on that side, I remember this, and he reached over and he grabbed my throat. And um, it all happened so fast, you know, like, yeah, that, that was the end of the swallowing. No, it, it wasn't hard, he wasn't, he wasn't rough, but he reached over and he grabbed my throat and he said, in the name of Jesus, I give this voice to Christ. I don't know, all I know is I watched the plates and the table go up as I slid down in my chair and I... And I And I don't know how long I was down there. I can't even remember finishing dinner. But, but what was he going after? My throat. He was going after my mouth. Why? Because I can't speak the word of God. But by the power of the Spirit, I can. By the power of... What does he go after with you when he baptizes your whole, you and the Holy Spirit? Come on. He goes after your voice. He wants you to speak for him. You say, I don't like that. Neither do I. Come on. This has nothing to do with like... But you, what you know, what he's put in your heart, the knowledge you have of Christ is so important. He will anoint you. You must never look at your own capacities. You and I are men and women baptized in the Spirit, ordained by God, equipped by God to function at a supernatural level. Hallelujah. Since the day of Pentecost, God's plan has been to equip every believer so that the ministry of Jesus Christ may continue from generation to generation until he comes again. What ministry? The ministry of Jesus Christ. Jesus, when he ascended, was not ending his ministry. How did he minister? He would travel, he would preach, he would heal, he would cast out devils, didn't he? Did all of those things. He never intended for that to stop. He said, now I'm going to ascend, I'm going to pour out the Spirit, and you now, as my hands, my feet, my eyes, my ears, my, you're my body, I will continue doing what I do through you. Amen. So that now, my ministry, as I've been doing, will be worldwide. No longer limited to just wherever I was physically, it will now be through my people all over planet Earth. And that it is being done today. Scripture affirms that Christ's finished work makes provision for a fullness of the Spirit beyond regeneration. And I'll explain what that is in a minute. Of which believers may or may not avail themselves. The greatest promise to the world is that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. But the greatest promise Christ makes to his church is you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. This gift is vital for the life and service of every believer. All right, here's an important distinction. The baptism with the Holy Spirit is subsequent to and distinct from his regenerative work. I'm not even sure I like the way I said that. It's completely part of his, regener his regenerative work. When you receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and you're born again, you're given everything. You're joined to him. His promises become your promises. His, his blessings become your blessings. You're wedded to the bridegroom. 
You have inherited with him everything. So, so I'm looking at something because some people say, well, then if I have it, if it's already given to me, I've got it all. He gives it. This is something that's real. And it must be received. There's a sense in which the process is not complete till you have received what's been given. And it is a real gift, not just a theology, not just a spiritual truth, not something you affirm mentally simply. It is a real coming of the power of God upon you and to dwell within you. Full Christian experience should certainly contain both the new birth and the baptism of the spirit, as it were. But this distinction must be made because there are many who are genuinely saved and yet have never been genuinely filled in this sense with the Spirit in this way. The difference between regeneration and the baptism of the Holy Spirit can be seen in Scripture. Number one, the apostles were converted under Jesus' ministry, yet they were commanded to wait for a special filling of the Spirit which took place after Jesus' ascension. Would you say they were saved prior to the day of Pentecost? Yes, they certainly were. Did they even have the Holy Spirit? Yes, they did. When one place they received it was what? The upper room. Jesus breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. That would be a clue right there. Yeah. Subtle, but you can pick it up if it goes by. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Number two, the Samaritans were saved under the ministry of Philip. Remember this? Yet they were baptized with the Holy Spirit under the ministry of Peter and John. Philip got them water baptized in the name of Jesus, the whole nine yards. But then Peter and John had to come from Jerusalem and lay hands on them. And then they were baptized in the Holy Spirit and he came upon them. What, what, were they not saved before that? Of course they were saved before that. But they had not received the gift that was given. You following this? Yes. Yeah. Number three, Paul was converted on the road to Damascus by a personal vision of the resurrected Christ. Yet he was baptized with the Spirit under the ministry of Ananias three days later. Paul baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus 12 men at Ephesus. Yet they received the baptism of the Holy Spirit after he laid hands on them. You recall this, he came to, well, we haven't, we haven't hit it yet, when we, but we will in the book of Acts. But I think you know the story. He comes to Ephesus, he finds 12 disciples who've been taught uh, by Apollos. Uh, they know John's baptism of repentance. But he says, uh, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, we didn't know there was one. And he says, well, then what did you believe in? They said, John's baptism. He said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance to believe upon him who is to come. And then he explains Jesus. And they all go, cool. Then he baptizes, and it's as simple as that, baptizes him in water, but it's not done yet. Now he does what? Puts his hands on them, and the power of the Holy Spirit came over them, and they began to pray in other tongues. You see the process. Okay. We can see from these examples that a person can believe in Jesus Christ and yet not have received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. There need not be a long period of time between salvation and this fullness of the Spirit, but the baptism of the Spirit is an additional experience to the new birth, or honestly, a completion, I would say. Clarifying three terms. To understand what the baptism of the Holy Spirit is and what it is not, it is helpful to clarify as well as we are able these three terms. Number one, righteousness. To be righteous means a person is in 
right standing before God. He or she is accepted by him and not under judgment for sin. Such righteousness was available prior to the coming of Jesus Christ. Without knowing the name of the Savior who would come, men and women who repented, appealed to God for mercy, and trusted in his kindness were given righteousness of faith. Jesus and the apostles confidently pointed to the existence of righteous men and women in the old covenant. I want to show you one verse that I think is really quite notable. Go with me to Hebrews 11. When I taught through Hebrews, this, this I mean, I already believe this, I think, but it, this one just really got me. Hebrews 11, and I'm looking at verse 7. The, the whole chapter is on this subject. The author of Hebrews, who you and I know, it most certainly is Barnabas. There's no question about it in my mind. Um, who, was, who taught Paul. Anyway, listen, listen to this in verse 7. By faith, Noah, being warned by God about things not yet seen in reverence, prepared an ark, in this case we're talking about a boat, for the salvation of his household, by which, he would, by which he condemned the world and became an heir of the what? Right. Which is? Noah had the righteousness according to faith. What do you have? Did he know the name of Jesus? He did not. Did he know the salvation plan? He did not, but he was righteous because you have a repentant heart. That's what that all is about, the boat. And he trusted in the mercy of God. He called on God for mercy and because of his repentance and his faith, God counted him righteous. He, he was not standing in sin before God. He was loved and pleased God. You need to get that clear because there are people who aren't even sure that people in the Old Testament are saved. That is ridiculous. Men, now, there's a, there's a bunch that weren't. <laughs> Don't get me wrong. <laughs> a bunch now that aren't. Yeah, I mean, so they were, the, they, are, they are in the Old Testament. No, they didn't know the name of Jesus. They knew that they would, as time went on, they knew possibly the Messiah would suffer. They, these things became clearer, but it was still a mystery. But they would call on God for mercy and they would repent and God considered them righteous before him, righteous men and women. There have always been. That's why when we get to the new Jerusalem, the gates are named after what? Come on. The, the tw no, no, the 12 tribes of Israel. The gates of the heavenly Jerusalem, where you and I are going to spend eternity, are named for the 12 tribes of Israel. Then the foundation stones, there's 12 foundation stones. What are they named after? The apostles. You have men and women from the old covenant and the new. We'll all be together. Aren't we looking forward to that? Yeah, you gotta, all right, so that's important to establish. Number two, regeneration. This word is only used really once in the New Testament, but it, it's common in, in, in theological talk, so I'm just using it. Following the cross and resurrection, Powerful new realities become possible to those who repent and believe on the name of Jesus Christ. 
By calling upon his name, this is so important now, calling upon the name of Jesus, we receive a once for all sacrifice for our sins, which grants us a continuing righteousness, which is not diminished by our sins or the weakness of our flesh. You see, in the old covenant, when you'd sin, you'd lose it. You'd lose your righteousness. Now you got to go back and you got to fix that. And, and so you're in and you're out. You're in and you're out. But when you and I come and before God and call on the name of Jesus, when we come to the Father through Jesus, through the cross, our righteousness does not fluctuate. It doesn't change. You stand righteous even in your worst moment. When, you're, when your flesh is weak, when you've just sinned, because faith is in your heart in Christ, you're still righteous. Is that cool? Yeah, can you see why the author of Hebrews says it's a better covenant? Yeah, it's what he says, Hebrews 8, that's not mine. He says, this is a better one. You want this one, not that one. You want this one. Yeah, a bunch of us, we're toast if we get that one. Yeah, we're just in and out so bad, it's you know, miserable. All right, so what, but this is really important. Because you're now joined to Christ, his righteousness is over you. You are constantly forgiven constantly loved and constantly blessed because you're joined to Christ. This is the new covenant. Hallelujah. I'm grateful for it. But continuing righteousness, uh, which is not diminished by our sins or the weakness of our flesh. We have a high priest says, you know, who, who constantly intercedes for us before the father so when you sin, as it were, the picture is Jesus standing at the, before the Father. The accusation by the enemy is made against, by, and, and basically he squeals on you and tells the Father what you did. The devil does. And Jesus, your advocate, says, but she's mine. He's mine. And therefore, case dismissed. Yeah, that constantly, as it were, is going on. He is interceding for us. Our human spirit, which was dead because of its alienation from God, becomes alive because the barrier of sin is removed and our spirit is joined to the Holy Spirit. Do you see this? Your spirit and God's spirit, you were separated by a wall of sin. You were dead. You were alienated from God, separated from God. But when Jesus Christ, when you trusted in him, the wall is removed. Your spirit now joins to the Holy Spirit. There is no separation, no wall of division, no at all. You are now wed. You, your spirit's you. It's the essential you. You are now joined to Christ. Just like that. <clears throat> In this way, God writes his laws on our hearts. So that the rebellious nature we inherited from Adam is gone. Now, in our spirit, which is the tr our true eternal self, we love God and long to please him. How many would say, I do love God and I long to please him? Yeah. That, he put that there. He put that longing and that love in you. He, as, when you gave yourself to him, he, 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 he draws you by your heart. He changes you. Now, you... Do you, still, do you still do some sins occasionally, just, just once in a while? Do you still have temper? Do you get jealous? Ever, ever, ever get greedy? Um, how about just a little bit of lust? And any, any of that ever touch you? 
Uh That's the flesh. That's the flesh. It's still with us. Every one of us. Me too. All of us deal with the flesh. But our spirit is my heart. My essential person loves him and longs to please him. Would you say that? I love him and I long to please him. That's you. That's the real you talking. That happened because you're joined to Christ. All right. By being joined to Christ, we pass from death to life and inherit with him. This is important. All the spiritual riches he won by his cross and resurrection. We possess all things with him. And and let me show you how all things that really is. Go with me to Corinthians uh, chapter 3. I'll just show you that one reference. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 21. Paul is, is correcting them. And he says, so then let no one boast in men. This is, they've, been, they've been saying, I belong to Paul. I belong to Apollos. I belong to Peter. The various apostles and leaders have come through. They're, they've grouped into groups. Imagine that, yeah. And whether Paul, Apollos, or Cephas, Cephas is another name for Peter, or the world, or life. Now, now look how big he makes this. Paul, or Apollos, or Cephas, or the world, or life, or death, or things present, or things to come. All things belong to you. Is that, what does that do to you? All things belong to you. What what do you mean all things? Well, he just said all things. All the world. All everything. You say, what do you mean it belongs to me? You're joined to Christ. It's his. So it's yours. You and I inherit with him all things. He's not kidding. The day comes, folks, when we rule and reign with Christ. Literally. He will rule the planet through his righteous people. This is not simply hyperbole or talk. And then he says, I love this last statement, you belong to Christ and Christ belongs to God. Amen. So if I'm joined to him, all his promises are mine, then how many of those promises will God give to me? Remember his, his, Paul's statement, the promises of, all of the promises are what? Yea and amen. In other words, if you ask for them, the answer from God is yea and yes and amen. I will give it to you. When I come to God, join to Christ, the answer is yes. Did you follow that? That ought to change the way we pray. That ought to change when we, when we have a need. Next time you start praying about something and you find yourself whining, oh God, oh, why did you do this to me? What did I do wrong? Stop and go, wait a minute, I'm joined to Christ. Everything's his, so everything's mine. Lord, I receive what you've given me. Yeah, it's a different, different way of thinking entirely. All things are with him. And there is, of course, no treasure more precious than the Holy Spirit himself. He's given to us without measure. This means that upon repentance and faith in Christ, every believer is given the baptism with the Holy Spirit. Yet as we observed earlier, a person may be given this gift, but 
not receive it. It can remain unopened. Number three, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is the coming of the Holy Spirit to dwell within the believer. Your spirit's joined to him, but he's gonna, the Bible's going to talk to us about our bodies being literally temples of God. That your physical body, your very being. In regeneration, the human spirit is joined to God's spirit, but by this gift of the spirit which Christ pours out, a believer becomes a living temple. The Holy Spirit literally takes up residence within the physical body of the believer which has been cleansed and made holy by the cross of Christ. Jesus did not simply die to remove your sins. He also died to cleanse your body. And make you holy. That's Romans 8.3. What the law could not do. Weak as it was through the flesh. God did. Sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. And as an offering for sin. He condemned sin in the. Say flesh. He cleansed your very body. The stuff of your, the, 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 the bones and the organs and the, your very being. Your, your body and mine has participated in sin. It's not holy. It's unclean. So Jesus, when he died on the cross, he died not only for my sin, the, the offense against God. He literally died to make my body holy. So that now the spirit of the Lord can come and live inside me as a holy temple. Remember on the day of Pentecost, what happened? They saw this great flame of fire come in. And, and it said it divided itself. And over each head, one of those, a tongue of fire went. You remember this? Where, where, where do you see in the Old Testament that kind of thing where there's fire dwelling over something? In the tabernacle. In the very place where God dwells, right? So here you have this picture for a Jewish mind. Over every person now, that fire dwells. What does that say? What does that statement make? You are now my tabernacle. I dwell in you. Lord literally dwelled in the tabernacle. He, he dwelled between the cherubim on that mercy seat where those wings were. There was, a, there was a Shekinah, a light. I love the statement of 1 Samuel. It said the, the lamp of the Lord had not yet gone out. Meaning that, that there was a I don't know, a silvery, silvery glow of the Shekinah of God literally on the mercy seat while Samuel slept in the other part of the tabernacle. That young Samuel. The, the lamp of the Lord had not yet gone out. It would go out, but it hadn't gone out yet. There was still a dwelling of the very Shekinah of God over that, over that mercy seat in the tabernacle. You are now the tabernacle of God. You have become the place of his abode. He dwells in you, not just with you, in you. Would you say he dwells in me? I am the tabernacle of God. I am holy. For Christ has made it so. Amen. Uh, when speaking uh, prophetically of this future blessing, Jesus used terms that specifically located the spirit within a person's body. Do you remember some of that language? Out of your innermost being. The word is koilea, meaning your bowels. Forgive me. It's koilea like the coils of a rope. When I say bowels, that's what I mean. Yeah, you can say like your intestines out of your, 
out of this, out of your, well, and that's not the source of it. Uh, but, but what he's doing is he's saying within your very belly, out of that will flow rivers of living water. The spirit will dwell inside you as a tabernacle. He's in there. Rivers of living water will flow out of you. Paul spoke of the spirit the same way. He said, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you? Receiving this baptism. The, the baptism of the Holy Spirit is not necessarily received automatically. It's given automatically. It isn't received automatically. It can remain an unopened gift through the lack of understanding or the absence of someone who's able to minister it to others. Nor is it received imperceptibly. Though it can and should be claimed by faith without regard to whether or not there has yet been an experience of God's power. What I'm saying there is, if you know the truth, you should say, that, that's, that's my promise. That, if it's given to me. By faith, I receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Say that. By faith. Whether or not you've had ever an experience, whether or not there's been some kind of deal where you know this is yours. If you're in Christ, this is yours. And it's important to, to not simply beg for it or ask for it as if it's not been given, but to recognize it's mine now. It's mine. I receive it. I, I, and now, Lord, I ask you to bring it all to pass. In every example provided by the New Testament, when a person was baptized with the Holy Spirit, there was an evident, recognizable infusion of the Spirit marked by the manifestation of a spiritual gift, in particular, speaking to God in an unknown language and prophecy. Apparently, an important mark of the Spirit's coming is to dwell, coming to dwell in us is Spirit-inspired speech. When he comes, he touches our lips and wants to speak through us. And that shouldn't surprise us because in learning to yield to God, I must let the Spirit have control of my tongue. That's where he went first on the day of Pentecost because when the tongue surrenders, all of us surrenders. There's so much discussion on this and debate about this because of people who I think are, are, are worried about the whole thing. And I understand, uh, I deeply understand, I was too. But may I say that when you receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, one of the things that God will absolutely give to every one of us is the ability to pray in another language, to prophesy, and for that matter, in my opinion, all the gifts, yes. all of the gifts are yours. The giver of all gifts dwells within you. Say, the giver of all gifts dwells within me. Yes. Yeah. You can never say, I can't do that, because the giver of all gifts dwells within you. If he asks you to do something, yes, you can. Yes, you can. He's given such a gift. We worry about the tongue. We say, Lord, I don't want to do that one. Can I, can I have all the other gifts? Just don't give me this speaking in tongues thing. And, it, and it, it, it can frighten us and it can worry us. I know you may or may not have seen, um, I don't know what. But let me tell you that this, this language of prayer, this, this language that God gives you, is a sweet and a gentle thing. When I was first baptized, I told you, the Lord went for my tongue and I, and I had quite the experience. But it was six years before I would willingly speak in tongues because I was afraid of it. Just, so when I say I, I get it, I, I really do get it. 
I was scared spitless of this thing. I didn't, I thought it was going to take over. You know, I didn't know what was going to happen. And, and it was six years later that I finally said, all right, Lord, I'll give you my lips. Your lips, your voice is extremely important. It is not simply one part of you. It is the part that most effectively you speak the word of the Lord through. Look at all of the gifts of the spirit, word of wisdom, word of knowledge, prophecy, tongues, discernment. All of this is, some, is expressed through your speech or your writing if you don't speak, but, but you're communicating. It's communication. So he is going to, he wants your, he does want your lips. The, one of the things that I notice that is so profound when a person is baptized in the spirit and there comes that freedom is there now seems to be a, a, an ability to speak the word of the Lord spontaneously. Yes. Praise comes freer. Yes. Often when I'm ministering to someone to receive the baptism of the spirit and we have not come here yet and I'll, I'll just say, well, let's praise him freely in English. And it, it surprises me how difficult that is for the person who's not yet been baptized in the spirit. I'll say, let's just praise him freely. You know, just hallelujah, Jesus. You know, and they're, they're kind of like, um, yay, God. And, you know, they, 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 it's, it's, it, it's, it's wooden. It, it comes out difficult. You would have thought that would flow easily in English. Something happens when you give him your lips. Amen. He wants to speak through you. Don't, please don't be afraid of it. It's not weirdness. It isn't, it, isn't, it isn't some kind of hypnotic thing. You don't know where the words come from with, with the tongues, but you, 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 you control it, loud, soft, fast, slow. He simply controls the word. It's his words. And you will find something going on in your spirit when it happens. You pray that way, there's a refreshing, there's a strengthening. I use it all the time. It is, it is not a silly thing I, that you forget and you sort of do it once and then I, well, I did that thing. When, when, you're, when, you're, when you're about to minister, you just let it flow. When you, when you need a word from the Lord and you're praying in your time in the morning, Lord, I need to hear from you. You'll often just pray in the spirit quietly, just letting that flow. And something happens that it seems to turn on your spiritual hearing, your ability I don't know why it all works like that, but it just does. And this is, these are the kind of people the New Testament is thinking of. It's thinking of men and women who can hear him, who can speak his word, who can pray for the sick. All of us, not, not pastors up front, all of us are called to carry Jesus' ministry into the world. Your being full of the spirit. You're being free in the things of the spirit matters a great deal. Please, please, I, I won't, I'm not going to do anything to you. Don't worry. They're not going to end the service and I'm going down the aisle. <laughs> so you're safe. But I just want to encourage you. It is important to understand that the baptism in the spirit, what it is and what it is not, it is not the gift of righteousness. Right standing before God has always been based on what? Repentance and faith. It has never come any other way, whether in the old covenant or the new. Number two, it is not regeneration, the promised new birth. 
Our faith in Jesus Christ provides us with a new enduring righteousness, which removes the barrier of sin, which separates our spirit from the spirit of God. At that moment, we cease to be spiritually dead and become spiritually alive. Joined to Christ, inheriting with him all the blessings of God. Number three, it is the moment when the promise of the Father is received, is received. It is the coming of the Spirit in power to dwell within the body of the believer. We become his living temple. What was given in regeneration is received. Do you follow that? He gives the baptism of the Holy Spirit is when I receive what's been given. So the baptism of the Holy Spirit should not be thought of as an optional gift, which one may or may not wish to receive, since it is God's way of equipping believers to continue Christ's ministry. Refusing it or neglecting it limits his ability to use us. Every child of God should consider it a privilege to receive this gift. How do we respond? Let me just suggest this. Number one, I hope you see that that promise is yours. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, that this is your promise. Number two, that you would seek this baptism if you have not received it. This needs to be your thirst and your hunger. You need to want it. I don't want to push you. I don't want to manipulate you. I don't want to trap you into something and do something to you. As you listen to what you've heard tonight, do you have that? Have you received that? Have you stepped into that level? You understand it's yours. But have you said, I want, I want more. I, I want the gifts of the Spirit. I want that encounter with the power and presence of God. It is for me. I get it. You need to pursue that. You, you need to find someone who's minister, minister, able to minister that. I'll be happy to. Anyone will. We, we offer it at Wednesday nights. We offer it lots of places. But you need to take the initiative and not be passive and say, I need that. I need that. As a church, I, and I'm feeling as a pastor, we must provide regular opportunities to minister to those who are seeking. We need, I think, more. We used to have a baptism in the Holy Spirit service. We haven't had that in a while. I'm asking myself, how do we do that? And we need to encourage those we lead to Christ to seek this gift and be prepared to minister it when needed. I've asked on these last number of weeks and months, you know, are you ready to receive Jesus Christ? And so many people have. I, I don't know how many. It's more, we're having more than ever. I simply want to say to you as your brother in the Lord, I long for you to have this too. It's your gift. And if I haven't been able to make it available the way I should or somehow explain it so that you saw the value of it, I'm sorry. But please, please search the scriptures. Look up what I've got. Convince yourself. And then don't be passive. Say, I must have this. I must have this. I want all God has for me. That's all I want for you, is everything God has for you. And then I'll just promise you that we'll be available to minister if you would like us to. Amen? Would you stand with me? What a, what a glorious inheritance we have. 
When you, when you, this was very theological. I, oh, really, Pastor, was it? Yes, it was. I was explaining this wonderful gift as carefully as I know how to do it. It was theological, but it's true. It's not just philosophy, it's truth. This is what the Word says. This is what God has done for us. I am righteous in Christ. So are you, amen? Amen. I have been given every promise, every blessing is yea and amen for me, is, and you, amen? amen. These, are the, these, these truths, when we get them into our soul, they, they become part of us. It makes us strong and courageous. And the greatest gift the Lord gives to his church is to say, I'm going to pour out upon you the Holy Spirit without measure. No limit to him. I give you the Holy Spirit Till he fills and flows out of you like rivers of water. Oh, Lord, come. We would open to you in our lives. Personally, we would open to you as a a family, as a people. And we would say, we love you, Lord. We love your sweet presence. You You are life to us. You are health to us. You are strength to us. You are wisdom to us. Just come in your fullness. Personally, Lord... Each of us, we open and just say, welcome in. We have been made righteous. We are a holy tabernacle for you. Come and take up your dwelling inside us and never leave us for all eternity. And then, Lord, we as a people together say, when we gather and as we minister, come and dwell among us. Come with your power. Come with your precious gifts. Jesus, continue your ministry through us. We offer ourselves to this and love you in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Thanks for listening. If you like this podcast, please click the like button, subscribe, and share it with a friend. For more information, just head to our website, lifelessonspublishing.com. That's lifelessonspublishing.com. There you'll be able to order many of the books Pastor Steve has written.